This is Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love, a podcast ministry brought to you by Grace School of Theology, a seminary to the world committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace. Welcome to Saving Grace. My name is Simon Eastwick. We recently attended the Free Grace Alliance Conference in Dallas, Texas. During the conference, we had the opportunity to speak to several great theologians, pastors, and speakers, and let them share their perspective on grace and how it can impact our lives. We have the privilege of having Roger Fankhauser back with us again, Thank you. and uh, it is uh, it's great to be at the Free Grace Alliance. I have been sitting in the seminars, and I have to admit, I have been learning a lot. Good. And I found some of the subjects very challenging. Yeah, good. And, uh, you know, the depth to which some of these theologians are going, it really makes, uh, I think, everybody there think. Good. You know, That's... how, and, and part of this is I think I'm going to take away a lot and I'm going to grapple with a lot of it and fi- try to figure that out. The good news is, in Grace School of Theology, I have a lot of theologians to whom I can ask questions. So <laughs> That's it's, right. you got it's some great sort of resources. unfair for me, right? Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but it's, really, it's really good to be here. And uh, thank you for coming back. Glad to. So we were last week sort of talking about grace, some of the fundamentals, some of the, p- the things that people might be misconstruing and, and misunderstanding about grace. Mm-hmm. We were talking about assurance and security of somebody's faith and, and that it is by grace. It's through Christ and Christ alone. So one of the things I'd, I'd, I'd love to start off with this week is talking a little bit about uh, John 14, 21. Mm-hmm. And it says in John 14, 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So what does that really mean when you start looking at that? Would you kind of break that down for us? I'm guessing this verse is misconstrued a bit. Yeah, it, it is. Um, there's really two pieces to it. The first part is uh, simply says that if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And uh, what is important is to realize what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, if you want me to love you, right. keep my commandments. And so that first aspect is a, a statement about uh, how do we demonstrate our love towards God. And it's simple. It says, if you love me, then keep my commandments. And you know, functionally, that means live the way I've asked you to live, because uh, that's what's right. That's what reflects me. That's what's best for you. Uh, that's how life works. It's for your good. It's for your protection. And it says, if you love me, as a, as a uh, demonstration of that, follow me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second part uh, is the idea of, well, do we have to, to do something to earn God's love? And if that's true, then the, there's a contradiction in the statement. But right. uh, I don't think that's the point. I think the, the issue is uh, that God loves us. He loves us unconditionally. Keep in mind in John 3.16, when he says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, uh, that whole process started because God loves us. And so he loved us in our worst condition. That was when we were lost. Roman says we were helpless, we were sick, we were elsewhere dead in trespasses and sins. Not exactly a lovable bunch, uh, but God loved us unconditionally. And so the whole act of, of salvation, everything that Christ did on our behalf, everything the Father does on our behalf, the Spirit, all of that is an act of, of love. And so he loves us fully. And so on the one hand, we demonstrate our love for God when we follow him, but we experience his love. We don't earn it. We already have it. We experience more fully 
um, in that same position when we, when we uh, follow him. And so it's the, the first one is a demonstration of you don't have to earn my love. The second one, but if you want to enjoy intimacy with me, follow me because that's where or, or follow my commandments because that's where, where um, you will really experience the love of God. And so the picture of that second piece is almost uh, that uh, we step out of experiencing God's love. He doesn't stop loving us, but we put right. ourselves in a position of that's not a smart place to be uh, versus walking closely with him. It's that, it's that difference between relationship and fellowship. Exactly. Right? Yeah. 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 So if, uh, you know, I, I will always be my, my father's son, mm-hmm. that's, my, that's my relationship. Mm-hmm. But whether I'm in close communication and whether I'm communicating well and whether I'm obeying my father mm-hmm. and living in that, well, that's the fellowship piece. Mm-hmm. So last week we were talking about this article, this piece that you wrote called Free Grace Exalts Christ and His Work. Mm-hmm. And we were walking through all kinds of aspects of, of that relationship. Mm-hmm. And you had something really interesting. You used this illustration, which I thought was very powerful, I think from your own life, mm-hmm. about being a foster parent. Right. And uh, you, you talked about this whole aspect of security in our relationship with God as a believer, uh, as an adopted son or daughter. And... Uh, Talk to me a little bit about the, the difference there and, and how you use that illustration. Yeah, okay. My wife and I have, have been foster parents, and uh, one of my thoughts was the difference between the security experienced by a foster child versus the security experienced by an adopted child. Okay. And uh, two of my grandchildren are adopted, and so we, you know, we have hands-on experience. And with the foster child, there's never any real security in that relationship because as a foster child, it's true, they're living in my home, they're under our care, and my wife and I are gonna love them, Uh, but from their perspective, they are wards of the state and they could be removed from the home for any reason, um, any number of reasons. Could be that uh, they found a family that they can go live with, it could be there's other issues, who knows. But fundamentally, they, they never really have that security of this is my home. This is my family. And, and as we watch them, they desperately want that. Right. Um, uh, frankly, some foster kids, are, are, they're in the system, and uh, they'll end up going back to their home family. And you know, so there's, there's that. But the, uh, as long as they're in my home, they know it's not permanent. And uh, it's, it's difficult to act freely out of that relationship. And so uh, oftentimes what happens is, on the one hand, they'll, they'll act out to try and see if you'll really put up with them. On the other hand, there's just always this fear of, well, if I, you know, if I misbehave too many times, then maybe they're going to send me on to another home or you know, send me back to CPS. And so there's, there's never any real security. And so that impacts, um, they're not aware of it, but it impacts how they, they live. The difference with an adoptive child is an adoptive child legally belongs to those parents. Right. And as a result of that legal relationship, they never have to worry, at least the best you can on a human platform, Right. they never have to worry about losing that family. That That's their mom and dad. And so my two adoptive uh, grandkids, they know that my son and daughter-in-law are their parents. And they know that they're secure. Now, do they still act out? Yep, because you know they they have to feel that out a little bit too. But but what they will experience over time is that they're very secure. That that home is their home. 
as they begin to grasp that, it makes a huge difference in how they act and how they live. Same thing for us in relation to God is God, he doesn't call us foster kids. He, we are adopted as children. And so we are legally his. And that is another dimension of our security is that because we're his, we're part of his family forever. Right. And that gives us great security. We can sleep well at night and great assurance as we move ahead in life. We don't have that foster care where we can, we're going to be kicked out potentially at some date. We're there forever. Mm. So as God's adopted kids, Mm -hmm. basically, Mm -hmm. we have the opportunity, like we do on a human level with Mm -hmm. our parents, to take advantage of everything that God is, Mm -hmm. right? As Mm -hmm. his child. Mm-hmm. Nothing's off limits. Right. In fact, he encourages. He 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 calls us to come come ask me questions. Mm-hmm. I have great wisdom. Come ask me. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. He says, "Walk with me. I'm there. Yep. I'm gonna walk with you. Walk with me. Right. Draw close to me." Yep. So, how are some of the ways that you see people drawing closer? That people should be thinking about how how do they draw close to the Lord? There's a lot of things in the Christian life that are simple but not easy. Okay. And so the descriptions aren't that complicated, but doing them, you know, it takes some work. So drawing close to the Lord, uh, first step is is knowing who God really is. Within uh, evangelical circles, we know that we know who God really is because of how he's revealed himself to us, and that's through his scriptures. Right. So he's revealed, us, uh, revealed himself to us through his scriptures, through his son, but even what we know about Jesus, we learn through the scriptures. And so part of it is, is knowing who God is and what he's like based on what the Word of God says. Okay. And, and I'm concerned too many Christians don't take in his Word, and so they, they have um, an anemic view of God or a skewed view of God because they don't really understand what Scripture says. Uh, we also have to be careful that we don't get so wrapped up in Bible study that that becomes the end. Right. That it's a tool. It's a you know. It's a process. You become so heavenly minded that you're sort of the joke is no earthly good, right? right. Yeah. 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 Uh, but that's the first thing is is okay. What does Scripture say God is like? And then the the second thing in drawing close to God is is personalizing that, and it's thinking through the the application of of Scripture. So, for example, uh, we know that uh, Scripture teaches that the Spirit is everywhere. Psalm 139, where can I go to flee from your Spirit? And the answer is nowhere. Nowhere, yeah. And so we can know that intellectually, but then processing that through, okay, what does that mean when I'm going through life? How about if I'm in that, whatever that situation may be that's scary? Hmm. Well, let's realize, wait a minute, God is with me. And it doesn't necessarily change the situation, but it can change and realize I'm not alone. Um, you know, on the other side, if I'm, uh, you know, have some sin behind closed doors, whatever it may be, you know, let's say I get on the internet, get on porn site, guess who's right there? Mm. You know, so there's an application of, you know, do I really want the Holy Spirit to watch porn with me? Right. And, and so if you start thinking through the applications, that's one way to draw near to God. Um, uh, another way is uh, just thinking in terms of, okay, how has he wired me? What does he want me to do? And realizing he's he's equipped me uh, to be used by him for his purposes, and so it's exploring opportunities to serve, and and so sometimes uh, we get so wrapped up in ourselves we forget that uh, our Christian life is is in the context of community, and mm. it's not just about me; it's about us. That's so key. Yeah, yeah. And so part of drawing near to God is is uh, figuring out. What would he have me to do? And but, and at the same time, realizing that fr- on a human scale, 
we may put some people at the top of a heap and, and other people you know, down at the bottom. But at God's scale, um, the issue is faithfulness, mm. not position. So uh, you're at Gray School of Theology, Dave Anderson's president. Right. Human scale, he's the top of the heap. Mm-hmm. And human scale, the janitors that come in and clean the classrooms and the offices, they're not. God's scale, if Dave is being faithful to what he's doing, he's at the exact same level yep. as the janitor who's being faithful to what God has done. And so it, it turns things upside down. It's not greatness based on, on uh, human abilities and merit. It's, it's, are you being faithful to how you've, what I've given you mm. to use? And realizing that he's done that for our good. It's not, a, it's not like he's given us calculus homework with 715 you know, problems to repeat. He's given us those things to give us a sense of purpose, to serve others, and to, to glorify him uh, in our lives. Don't, don't you find, though, that, I mean, if, if, if we don't get something, I don't know about you, but I find this in my life, if I don't get something, I think God kind of goes, oh, okay, we might need to rinse and repeat on that one. Mm-hmm. I see that mm-hmm. in my own life. Yep. I see that if I, yep. if I really didn't grasp whatever it was God was trying to teach me, right. I mean, back to God's sort of funny, sen- his sense of humor, I think God has a great sense of yep. humor. And I, and I think sometimes, though there's some serious elements to it, he'll just say, okay, Easter, you, you didn't get that. Yep. Oh, let me run that yep. back by you again. And, yep. and if, we, if we're careful, we'll look at that and go, yeah. wow. Yeah. yeah, I didn't yeah. get that. I want to get it the next time. Yeah. Yeah. One of the lessons I learned in a counseling class in seminary, I still remember this, uh, the, the professor had a, an overhead and basically said this, don't fix the fix that God has fixed to fix you, otherwise God will fix another fix with which to fix you. And that's exactly right. That you know, He's not going to give up on yeah. us. And, yeah. um, and that's why knowing what God is like makes a huge difference because um, if I think God is a cosmic killjoy bully, then when something happens again, I'm going, there he is again. Yeah. But if I realize God is a God of love who's molding me and, and wants me uh, to be the best I can be in the right sense for his glory, and that he's doing these things for his purposes, it makes a huge difference. Yeah. And this, this isn't a repetitive thing, but I, it just came to, to my mind thinking about this and uh, just the different perspective. I had a friend named Bill who was at our church in, in Burleson, and uh, he was battling cancer. Yeah, and yeah, you know, what's the the answer? Here's a man who loves God, has a great heart for God, and and it's obvious that, you know, barring a last minute miracle, he's not going to survive. Right. And if I have a view of God that doesn't realize that big picture, he's working all things together for his good, that nothing can thwart his plans, that ultimately everything he's doing is to bring greatest glory to him, greatest good to, I'll just say the universe. Right. It's easy to get wrapped up in that and go, why God? Mm. Well, and that, that's a valid question. Right. And we may never have the answer on this side of heaven, but I can say, why God? I don't get it, but I'm going to trust you anyway, because I know you're a good God. Right. And, and in this case... You know, Bill, uh, he didn't make it through the day. Yeah. But you know what his last thing that he did was? He shared the gospel with a lost friend mm. because he was so passionate about his love for Christ. Yeah. And this guy trusted Christ. Wow. Yeah. How exciting is that? Man, that that's not normal. You know, it's not. You you bring up this subject, and, it, and it's really it is worth discussing. You know, and as a pastor, you've probably seen a lot of people who have been on, in their last moments of life. Mm-hmm. Compare for me just a little bit in contrast the difference between those when you sat with people who didn't know the Lord and those who did know the Lord in those last minutes of life. Yeah, when when they don't know the Lord, 
there's always some level of, of fear. There's uh, usually some level of, of anger, mm. uh, but there's, ne- there's never any resolve. And so even a, an unbeliever might have fear, and it would be normal to be angry because, you know, frankly, if a loved one is being taken away from you, it's, that's a normal response. Right. Uh, and so when you read the Psalms, uh, you see quite often David will say, why do the wicked prosper? And, or, Lord, what's going on? I don't get it. But it always ends up with a, but I trust you. Right. That's the important part. Yeah. Job, the whole book of Job ends up, and, and God never gives Job an answer. We know what's going on because we have the first couple chapters. He didn't get those. Right. And God basically summarizes, if you explain an ostrich, I'll explain these things to you. <laughs> uh, but then, but Job, without an answer, he basically yeah. says, fundamentally, God, you're God. I'm going to trust you. Nothing can thwart your plans. And so... You'll, you'll, as a believer, you may have many of the same emotions, but they don't stop there. And when you're dealing with uh, a believer who's passing away, there's hope. Right. Because you realize that on the other side, they're going to be whole. Yeah. And on the other side, everything that's, that's limited them here, and you know, especially in the context like with uh, cancer and so on, all that, that's all gone. Yeah, all the pain. And, and you know, whatever God was allowing through all that process, you know, we may or may not ever figure out on our own, uh, but we can have great confidence. Whereas the unbeliever, you know, it's, it's, if you think about the alternatives and realizing the reality of, of ultimate judgment, hell, there's no hope. Yeah. There's no hope. Yeah. And you know, it, it's, a, it's a huge difference. While we're on this subject, there's somebody listening to this podcast that has never put their faith in Christ. Mm-hmm. What would you tell them? Uh, tell them the, the the process is simple, not easy, but simple. Okay, um, it's not easy because the 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 message is very simple in that it's whoever believes in Jesus as the Son of God who died for your sins. There's that personal dimension, mm. and uh, was raised from the dead. And if you believe in Him as as Savior, He gives eternal life. So it's simply recognizing I'm a sinner. There's nothing I can do about it on my my own. God has done everything on my behalf. I believe in him as the one who gives me eternal life. And God's promise is that you have eternal life and you're saved. And, and you're, from that moment on, you're his, his child. That's mm. uh, not easy because it's hard to, okay, how am I going to put my confidence in a guy who died 2,000 years ago, halfway around the world that I read about in a book? Mm. You know, so you know, there, there really is an act of faith that, that that message is true. The cool thing is we have the Word of God, and it's been um, you know, affirmed in so many different ways and, uh, over the years, whether it's historically or archaeologically or through the lives of people. There's all kinds of different ways that it's affirmed as the, the true story right. that it is a sensible for lack of a better term, it is a sensible message that when he says, believe in me and you have eternal life, okay, I believe in you, I have eternal life, because everything else you've said is is true. Right. Yeah, so that's that's awesome. If somebody's if somebody's listening and, and they, they can utter that prayer and they can mm-hmm. talk to God and now mm-hmm. now they're in relationship mm-hmm. with him, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's set for all eternity. Mm-hmm. Um yep. And now, 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 sort of getting back to what we were kind of talking about before. Now it's about that fellowship piece, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And we've talked about security. We've talked about assurance. You know, one of the things that you, you mentioned was about being in the Word of God, mm-hmm. and I, I agree with you. It's, it's probably something that 
we, we as believers just don't do enough, and we are blessed. If you're somebody in the United States or even in different parts of the world, and you have the you still have the freedom to, to pick up the Word of God and to read it. Mm-hmm. If it's readily available for you, shame on us to, if we don't read it, right? Mm-hmm. But how much how much sort of time do people need to spend in the Word of God? I mean, I, sometimes I think people look at it that way, and I think it really should be opposite. It's how much time can I get in the Word of God? Mm-hmm. You know, well, what's the minimum amount I need yeah. to do? Which is which is yeah. wrong, right? But yeah. but talk to me a little bit about the importance of being in the Word of God. Yeah, I'll, I'll use the illustration of, of notes that I got from my wife when we were dating. Okay. Uh, because I'd get a do- note from Debbie. Debbie and I married young. Our wedding date was the first Saturday after her 18th birthday. Okay. And so you know, when we met, she was still in high school, and uh, she would send a note home sometime with my sister. And I would never go, oh, that's a love note, and put it aside. Yeah. I'd pick it up. I'd read it. Yeah. I'd put it down. I'd pick it up. I'd read it. I'd put it down. I'd re- and yeah. nobody ever said, how much time should you spend reading love notes from your wife? Yeah. I would read them as much as I wanted, sometimes <laughs> more than, right. than I should. So part of it is realizing the character of the book and that realizing it's not a list of do's and don'ts and rules and regulations that God has given us. It's a, you know, Fundamentally, there's a love letter there because he's right. explaining who he is and what he's done on our behalf and the greatness of our salvation. Yeah. So part of it is thinking of it in that terms of it's not a checklist, it's not a, gee, I need to spend 15 minutes in the Bible and check the box, and it's easy right. to get into that thinking. Yeah. And so the question is, how much time? And the answer is, yes. As much as possible. Just spend, just spend time. Right. And for some people, if you can spend five minutes at a pop, that's okay. And I'm convinced that if the more time you spend, the more time you will spend, because yeah. it starts making sense. Now, related to that, I think as a church, sometimes we've not done people a, a great service because if you start off the Bible fresh, let's give it to somebody that's never read it before and say, here, read the Bible. Mm. It can be very confusing uh, because it, it's not laid out chronologically. Um, there's not a plot line you can follow from chapter to chapter that makes sense. And if, if you don't know, uh, the history. And so part of it, I think, as, as churches and church leaders and part of discipleship and mentoring is teaching people, here's how to read. Give people a big timeline. Here's, here's, here's how the Bible lays out. So as a reader, they can hang pieces right. along the timeline and figure out where it is. Teach them the process of, of observing the text and, and taking their time and reading it so that they, they know it's okay just to read it, just to read it. And to look right. and see what's there, but you know, teach people how to read so that when they read it, it makes more sense. Yeah, and and encourage them. There's nothing wrong with the King James, but frankly, you know, it's not American English. Don't say right you know, here, new believer, read the King James Bible. <laughs> nothing wrong with King James Bible, no. but they already don't know anything. But and verily now, and thusly is not used anymore. Yeah, so it's, it's not it's, common speak. Yeah, yeah. so so help yeah. them find a. a a good translation that's a readable translation help them to right. to learn you know the big picture of how the pieces fit together and this encourage them tell them to you know just because the more time you read you might be reading along and not get it i was reminded of a friend of mine uh, don he and i used to play golf together and uh, he too is in heaven at this point but always loved it in men's bible study and other bible studies uh, there'd be sometimes there'd be things he didn't get says you know what I may not understand that, but I know John three sixteen is true. Yes, and I, and I love that because right. it's okay. It says I'm. I know. Go back to his I know core. What I know. Go back to his core. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And build from that. And, and right. You know, that's one of the things I think too to encourage people is 
don't worry about the things you don't understand because there's things that all of us aren't going to understand. Right. But pick up what you can and grow and keep in it and keep going. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 so it's so true, you know. I, I also get amazed at how I can somebody can be speaking from the pulpit mm-hmm. or or in a Bible study setting and going over a verse I have heard time and time and time before. Mm-hmm. And yet the Holy Spirit can take that verse and mm-hmm. speak some new truth into my life at that very moment. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you find that? Oh yeah. I I can't think of a, an example, but I remember when it happened that uh, there's two pastors at our church and uh, I was studying something and I went I've never seen that before. You've yeah. been pastoring close to twenty years. Went to seminary and served as an elder. And, right. Uh, and and it was a uh, the thing that surprised me was it was a fairly well known passage. And I went running to Jared's office and said, "Have you ever seen this before?" <laughs> and, <laughs> He's so like, "Yeah, it, yeah. Uh, what's up with you, right? Yeah, yeah. and you're the pastor." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I, you know, I find new things all the time. And the other thing is that sometimes we realize that what we think we know about the Bible is what somebody else has told us. Right, and then as we dig in, we go, hmm, I think this this is better understood this way. But that's part of the process of yeah of growth for the young believer. I'd say get in, start reading. Don't worry about what you don't know, but you know, camp on the things that make sense, and connect with somebody that's more mature than you, that that loves you. God, and yeah. you know, let them mentor you and walk with you and help you grow. In the remaining minutes we've got of this podcast, talk to me a little bit about prayer and the importance of prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the the church answer is it's essential, <laughs> but it really it's it's yeah. really true. Yeah. Um, think in terms of a marriage relationship, and you know, how healthy of a marriage you're going to have if in the morning you say hi honey, and then before bed you go good night honey. There, the, there's no intimacy in that no. that relationship, and right. um, it's the same thing with God in that. Uh, prayer is communicating with him. I think we have a lot of misunderstandings about prayer. I don't think prayer needs to be a, a long monologue uh, you know, with God. It can be you know, short prayer bursts, if you will, just being aware of his presence during the day. My communication with my wife, sometimes we're perfectly content, just riding in the car, not talking, but we know they're there. Sometimes right. we're talking a mile a minute and, right. you know, and everything in between. And you know, I think that the nature of prayer is the same way. You know, when he says pray without ceasing, he doesn't mean long monologues. I think it's just kind of think of that as a mindset. Right. And I'm convinced that the primary thing that changes in prayer is me. It helps it helps me focus that's, on that's interesting. Helps yeah. me focus on who God is, helps me focus on his plans, helps me get my eyes back on him and, and away from the things of the world. It helps me to to trust your needs or somebody else's needs and realize God's the only one that can ultimately meet those. Yeah. And so it changes that. And so, um, obviously the difficulty is talking with you, you're sitting right there, you know, and face to face and I hear an audible voice. And when I'm talking with God, he's just there. Right. And, and that's part of the process of realizing I can't see him and, um, he's not talking back audibly. I think he does through circumstances and scripture and a number of other ways. Uh, but but he he answers, and sometimes his answers will surprise you. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, one of my favorite stories. I, I went to Colombia, my first mission trip ever. Went to Colombia, South America. Yeah. And I was sitting in my office and um, was praying, Lord, I love doing that trip. I don't have an idea how to start that again. Within thirty minutes, the phone rang. 
Dr. Joe Wall called me, who at the time, I knew who Joe was. Yeah. But we didn't know each other at all. Yeah. And, He's a great uh, guy. And he says, hey, your friend Cam Overholzer, uh, I asked him if you want to do this, and he wasn't able to, but he said, you might want to. You want to go do some training in Kazakhstan? I'm going, huh. Thinking about a mission trip, praying about how to get plugged in. Somebody who doesn't know me calls me and asks me if I want to go on a mission trip. And it's somebody who I know well, I, I know his reputation well enough to know that, you know, I could trust him. And, yeah. and going, you know, that was a pretty obvious answer to prayer. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, th- I just think the whole process of prayer, it's an ongoing, continual thing. Yeah. Um, I think as Christians, we use the phrase, I'll pray for you lightly. And we should. And, uh, it's kind of a side note. What I encourage people to do is if you tell somebody you're going to pray for them, do it right then. I'm a believer in that. Because what often happens is it's not intentional, but I'll forget later on. Yeah. Uh, but if I say I'm going to pray for you, I pray right then. I have done many a prayer in the parking lot. Yeah. People are like, what are you doing? Yeah. I'm like, well, I said I'd pray for this person. So yeah. We're going to pray now yeah. because you're right. You're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. Well, we're out of time. I wish we had Where'd more. Where'd it go? <laughs> but I know, it just, it, it went. And uh, yeah. we're out of time, but you yeah. know, it's been a blessing talking to you Thank and you. just getting your perspective on grace, the, the grace of God, you know, it, it is so incredible. Thank and uh, I appreciate your spending some time with us and uh, we'll have to have you back sometime because yeah, this has been can, too much fun. Yeah, we'll work it out and do it again. I enjoy okay. it myself. And I, can, I never get tired of talking about God's grace and just, you know, how powerful that is in our lives. Amen. Well, thank you. Thanks. We love it when you send us your questions and feedback to the podcast, so keep them coming. Please send them to savinggrace at gsot.edu. Please continue to pray for Carmen Pate, who is the regular host of this podcast. She is still battling with cancer. We dare to believe that she will be cancer-free one day. But please lift her up in your prayers. I know she'd appreciate it, and we look forward to having her back on this show really soon. Thank you for listening to the podcast. And remember, the love of Christ cannot be earned and can never be lost. You have been listening to Saving Grace, a podcast ministry of Grace School of Theology. For more information, visit gsot.edu slash savinggrace. Views expressed on this podcast may not always be the views of Grace School of Theology or its leadership. 